Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by the one and only Joe Sol. So Joe, welcome to the show. As I said before we started recording, honoured to have you on here. Really, really. I am, I am honoured to be here um, and uh, to, to be invited to the UK to talk. Yeah. So we've been having a, a very forthright dialogue about <laughs> about thriving adoptees in this podcast and um we've got to the point uh, before before we started the recording listeners so before we got to the point where we discovered we were talking all about trauma and i said to joe where's the hope and joe said well that's what i've been helping my clients with i help them with the hope uh, and uh, I think that's what you said. Is that what you said, Joe? Roughly. That's what, that's what I said. Okay. Absolutely. So, beyond the trauma, where's the hope? Why? Why? Why is there hope? Why? You know, the listeners are here for a message of hope. Why? Why are we? Why are we here? Okay. The separation of mother and child is a huge trauma, and it's and it's unrecognized by society. Um, uh, the the the, the um, quote uh, that adoption is the only trauma in the world where the, the victims are expected to be grateful. Um, people, society doesn't want to recognize the trauma because I think it's too terrifying. But we can heal from this trauma if we understand what the trauma is, what it's done to the mothers who have lost their babies and to the babies who are now grown up and, and started their life without their mothers. And if we can learn how to, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go back a step. Everybody in the world does inner child work. Everybody in the world talks to themselves somehow. They'll say, take it easy, relax, you'll get through this. But they're talking to themselves and that's inner child work. And what I've done is taken uh, John Bradshaw who, who invented inner child work uh, the concept of using it for therapy, and I've taken his work and used it to, I've modified it a little bit to help us adoptees and our mothers. And what we need to do as adoptees is help that young, um, young child within our seven-year-old self, all the part of our brain that has all the memories and thoughts and feelings of being seven, and that exists within us, within everybody, um, to help that seven-year-old understand that he or she was not unlovable and is lovable and always has been. And that's really the core of the work is to help our younger core self understand that it was not because there was something wrong with us that our mothers didn't keep us. And to help the mothers who, in my estimation, I've never met a mom who was not coerced to help the mothers understand that they were brainwashed um, or coerced uh, into not keeping their children. And that wound uh, is, is their trauma. That's their quote trauma wound. And as adoptees, our trauma wound is loss of our mothers. And so what we can do, if we learn how to talk to ourselves, just good self-talk and spend the time to help our uh, seven-year-old self understand that he or she was lovable, help the moms understand they didn't, uh, they didn't uh, commit a crime, 
that they were not, they didn't have any help to keep their babies. Um, if we can do that, we can heal from this trauma. But we um, need to see it for ourselves, yeah? Say again? We need to see it for ourselves. We need to see it for ourselves. And it's hard. Um, it's really hard to change. Let, let's say that somebody goes, starts their therapy when they're 30. And they have 30 years, or, or let's say they started this when they were seven. I want to go back. When we're seven, it's sort of the beginning of being cognitive, six and a half, seven, seven and a half, when we start to really be able to be logical. And that is when we're going to say, why did this happen to me? Why did my mother not keep me? And the only conclusion that we're going to come to is we're unlovable. And I've run this by therapists who have nothing to do with adoption about just somebody who's had the loss of their mother. They're always going to believe it's because they weren't lovable. If their mother died when they were seven, they're going to believe they're unlovable. So if I've, if I've had decades of thinking that I'm unlovable, that becomes concrete in my brain. That, that's not something that I can just change. I have to work at it. So I have to keep saying out loud in my head, you are lovable. What happened to you wasn't your fault. We're okay. Bradshaw says we have to say this a hundred times a day to change it. I, I think 60 is enough. Well, I have, to, I have a little affirmation and it, it's about four minutes a day broken up into one minute segments to say this affirmation over and over and over again. The same for the moms. Um, I've got to help. I've got to nurture that seven-year-old and give that seven-year-old symbolically what my seven-year-old did not get, which is constant love um, from someone. Constant, un unconditional love. And most of us did not get that because we believe that way down deep, the only person who should have loved us didn't because that's the way children think. I got to change that thought in my head. So if I don't change that thought, what's going to happen? My seven-year-old is going to be out looking for love all the time, somehow. It may be through work. I poured myself into work so I didn't have to think about anything else. I poured myself into being an engineer. And I, and I would stay up to two o'clock in the morning being an engineer, but I didn't have to think about the pain of losing my mother. Um, this is hard work, but it's doable. I can change it by, do, by really making a commitment to myself that I'm going to fix my pain. Um, Eric Erickson, who um, was one of the most uh, famous uh, therapists in the world, um, and he, um, he didn't know his father. It was a step-parent adoption. But he, he wrote a book called Identity in the Life Cycle. Um, which is uh, used almost everywhere in the world for people who are studying to be a therapist. And, um, and he's the one who said that the first um, developmental task is to develop a sense of trust in the world. Um, and, and if I lose my mother, I'm going to have a hard time with that. Um, he also said that if I can give myself symbolically the things that I didn't have when I was a child, they will play forward. So if I can give my inner self that love by taking care, by focusing on me, by visualizing my seven-year-old self, by giving him constant attention, 
by showing him that, that he matters, by showing him that he's lovable. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to heal my trauma that way. However, the however is not bad. To heal from trauma, um, and this is uh, from uh, Judith Herman's book, Tra Trauma and Recovery, that what I must do is find a way to feel the emotions of my trauma in a safe way, meaning with people who are loving witnesses, um, people who understand. And if I'm with them and, I, and people will say to me, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Um, I care about you and, and I, will, I will be your witness to your pain. And I see that my pain won't kill me, that I'm gonna heal from my trauma. It takes time. That's um, that that thing you just said, Dan. Um, the pain won't kill me. That's huge. Could you talk a little bit more about that? It's common for people who have had trauma to believe that if they touch their pain, it will destroy them on the spot. It will annihilate them. And this is not adoption. This is just anybody who's working with trauma victims. Um, this, this is, or, or victims of sexual abuse, it's trauma. They're gonna say, I can't talk about that. It'll kill me because their brain can't tolerate the pain. And so the, the, the part of their brain that has been hiding it um, is afraid that they'll die. I used, to, I used to tell my therapist, I'm gonna die. She'd say, how? I said, I don't know, but it's gonna destroy me right now. On the spot, I will be annihilated. Um, and this is not, again, it's not about adoption trauma, it's about trauma. So I have to have a way of proving to myself that my trauma is not gonna kill me. That talking about it's not gonna kill me. And so I have to feel safe. I have to find a way to do it a little bit at a time until I see that it won't kill me. And then I can talk about it yeah. and I can get to resolution. Okay. So this is back to the couple of, I'm just I'm just reiterating playing this back to yeah. the two things that you said, right? So you said I asked I, I asked a question. So we have to see this for ourselves, and then I we talked we talked again about the uh, about the pain and the fear that the pain will kill us. We have to see that for ourselves as well. So I guess I'm inviting the listeners to uh, to try this for themselves to see this for themselves rather than taking our, our word for it. Because if, if we are just taking something in at a logical level, then it's going to have no impact on us whatsoever. This, this is, we're talking about under the bonnet, the, under the bonnet here, we're talking about under the hood stuff going on and an intellectual understanding of it rather than an, an embodied understanding through experience. So our having a lived experience, realizing that pain can't kill us is huge. So I guess that's where that's why um, talking to somebody like Joe comes in because they can help us see what we can't see for ourselves. Um it's something that I didn't see for myself for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, but we mustn't try and do this work alone. It's dangerous, literally dangerous to try and do it alone. 
we need to be with somebody in a support group with a, with a knowledgeable thera therapist um, who knows how to help us when we get into the pain, get out of the pain. Because we can get into that pain and, and go into a very dark place and not know how to escape from it. I've seen it happen and other therapists have seen it happen. So I don't want to try and do this alone. No. So um, we need, but we, uh, when we say support group here, we mean, you mean getting support from somebody who has been down that path themselves, been into the darkness and come out of the other side. You don't want to be learning from a novice. Right. You don't want to, a fellow struggler. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but there's, there's loads of groups. Uh, there's loads of groups on Facebook. And I don't know whether this is the same in support groups in life. They are full of strugglers. So, yes. yes, you're right. There's, hundred, there's over 100 groups for adoptees alone on Facebook. And, and again, it's not, this is not about blaming anybody. It's about understanding how terrifying it is um, to, to, to talk about, uh, about adoption because most people don't want to hear about it. Most people um, are, it's very rare to find someone who is unemotional about adoption. It's usually one way or the other. Either it's the greatest thing in the world or it's the worst thing in the world. We, we need to find people who are willing to listen to our pain and tell us that we not tell us we shouldn't hurt. A lot of people say, get over it, right? So there's no big deal. It happened when you were a baby and shouldn't bother you now. I, I've had that from, um, I've had that from somebody. Dirk. Yeah. Um, she, she actually reduced, she, she said, well, what have you got? What have you got to, if she, she, she reduced it to money, you know, like. <laughs> to, what? Never, to, to money? To money, yeah. You've never had any problems, Simon. <laughs> You've never struggled for money. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I don't think we'll carry it. I, I, I just, I just turned away and talked to the other person next to me. Luckily there was a, there was a few of us around the table at that point. I just thought if, if you're, if you're going to be that, um, superficial and if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to project your mo your money worries uh and uh, onto me i just thought you know you, you're off obviously you're off your you're off your fruitcake uh, as we would say in yorkshire up here in uh, so yeah um you know we these we've got to be pretty we've got to be canny about where we go where we get our support from um uh, we want somebody that's going to uh, somebody that's going to show us the dark and and the lightness uh, and uh, and the lightness is where the where the healing's at the people the people if you surround yourself by, by people still in the in in the darkness it's, it's just going to become a darker place for us isn't it um you're absolutely right um and it's hard to find people um, who have done their work. And what does doing the work mean? Somebody who's gone down into that crevice um, of pain and let themselves feel it. Um, and then they bounce back. Um, and the world is different. I, I want to go back to something about, about being um, unlovable. 
part of the part of the difficulty for uh, us adoptees is, um, and it may not be conscious, but my adoptive parents say, "I love you." But my inner child, who doesn't believe he's lovable, says bullshit. Pardon my French. My, my inner child can't tolerate that, so doesn't believe it. So no matter what my parents say to me, I still believe I'm unlovable. They can't. They can't undo that. The I have an incontrovertible fact in my head as a seven-year-old. My mother didn't keep me. I'm unlovable, and nothing anybody ever says to me is going to change that. And the only one who can change it is me. Nobody can make me believe I'm lovable except me. It has to come from within. Yeah. Okay. Nobody can make me believe. Nobody can make me like myself. I have to do that for me. So that that's my work. I got to take that little boy inside me and say, "Look, I know you don't think you're lovable, but you are." And I have to keep saying it over and over and over again. Um, how long does it take? Uh, uh, About three and a half it, weeks. No, yeah. How long does it Four take? Four days. <laughs> Two hours. <laughs> how long does it take to learn Mandarin fluently for someone who is not? I, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on the repetition thing. I think, you know, I think there's, there's, it's not just repetition, it's insights and repetition for me. It's insights. Okay. Insights All and right. Repetition. Insights and repetition. Yes, you know, absolutely. We have to have an insight about the fact. So I keep on banging on about seeing, seeing this for, for ourselves. And you're saying, yeah, nobody else can make us believe it. Right. And that is that we're saying we are on the same hymn sheet on that point. I'm so saying we have to see it for themselves. And you're saying we have to believe it for ourselves. We, uh, our our birth parents, sorry, our adopted pa adopted parents, telling their kids that they that they love them is a very different thing from that child seeing that they are lovable. Yes, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's, com it's completely it, it, and and one the two things. It, it, it's not two sides of the same coin. It's two completely different things. So we need to be focusing on helping. Well, we need to, uh, you know, if we're a parent, we need to see we, we we need to see that we're lovable as parents, and then the get the better that we get seeing our own lovability, um, then the better able we're going to be able to point our adopted children at their lovability. Okay, so so a couple of things. Um, right, we have to understand why we are the way we are. I have to understand what what makes me tick to do my work. I have, so insights. I have to know why I feel the way I feel, why I talk the way I talk, why I think the way I think. What has made me do that? I need, I need to have the insight into what makes what's going on up here. Um, I, I, and I, I think that's absolutely so. I have to know why I am the way I am before I can make any changes. Um, for a parent, a parent needs to know why their child is hurting. The parent needs to know why that the child comes to them with that trauma. And, and if they do that, they can, everything is going to change. If I, if my parents had, or if an adoptive parent is able to say to a seven-year-old, I am so sorry you hurt. I am so sorry you couldn't grow up with your first mommy and allow the child to cry. The whole world is different for the child. The whole trauma is eased. It's not that it's not there, 
but it's not going to have the same effect at all. If we can help adoptive parents understand that, give them tools. My parents and most adoptive parents are not given a book to read to help them understand us. It's not their fault. But we're, we're bringing it up to the surface, yeah? We're, bringing, we're, we're, we're empathizing. Yes. We're empathizing. We're, we're showing the child that we understand their pain, that we empathize. And, and, and we're bringing it up, we're bringing it up out of the darkness into the light. Yes, yes, absolutely. The, but, but part of the problem, they don't teach therapists in this world anywhere that adoption, that the, that the loss of a mother uh, adoption trauma exists. When, when I graduated from shrink school, I went to the Dean and I said, well, you have to teach in this school um, adoption and foster care issues. I would love to teach it, but somebody's got to teach it. She said, no, we can't do that. And I, and I, and I had to badger her until she finally said, look, there are too many ad adoptive parents who are trustees. And if we teach adoption issues, it means there's something wrong with adoption and they'll stop giving us money. And... Uh, Nuts. They don't teach it anywhere. Why? They're, they're supposed to be the people that know about being nuts and they can't see how nuts they are with their own stuff. Right. So, but the, so the no, was nuts. It, it's, I'm sorry? The system was nuts. They couldn't, the see, system, their own, they, they couldn't see through their own nuttiness. They were putting the money outside, money in front of um, healing. The system is nuts. So therapists aren't taught that there's a trauma. So most therapists, if you go and say I'm adopted and I hurt, they're going to say, "Well, well, why do you hurt? What, what, what's the big deal?" I had a very, I had a world famous therapist say that to me, and I walked out. Um, this did, it, did the therapist? Did the, the, the so the the therapist um, may was it he or uh, a him or a her? The therapist, the the therapist, the world famous therapist, was that a him or a her? I'm not understanding. I'm sorry. The, the, the therapist, the world-renowned therapist that said, uh, oh. what's your problem? Was it he or a her? Uh, a he. He, yeah. So he, he, he was severely lacking in any empathy. He was severely lacking in any empathy, but the books all say that adoption is wonderful. I, I, I had an occasion 10 years ago to see the current books in social work school, and they were all ignoring... Adoption as a trauma is adoption's wonderful. So how do you do that? How do you get the therapist to learn? And if the therapists don't learn, and, and, here, and so we have to go a little further. This, there's a very famous therapist named David Kirshner, who's wonderful. Um, and he, uh, and I became friendly with him uh, through introduction. And he said to me that when he was, opening his practice, and he started work as a therapist, that he would have people come to him and say, oh, my child is, um, no, come, come to them about their children, and, it, and, it, and the children are causing them trouble, and they don't know how to understand them, and they don't know how to raise them, and as they're going out the door, they say, oh, by the way, little Johnny's adopted, and he kept hearing this, and he said, well, maybe there's something to this, and so he investigated it, and he said, he said oh, my God, yes, there's an issue here, and he became, he became famous for it in New York. 
but he, he wasn't a teacher. He didn't go around and teach people. So where, where are the therapists going to learn? Only by inter, in, uh, interaction with other therapists, but there's not very many who know about it. There really aren't a lot of therapists in this world, given the millions and millions of, of adoptees and natural mothers, there's very few therapists who really understand it because it's not taught. Um, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a vicious circle. It really, it really, really is. And um, in the true meaning of the word vicious. Oh God, yeah. I, it, um, me, meaning that how are we going to get help? How are people? How are the people going to get help? The people who need it when they can't find a therapist or have difficulty finding a therapist who understands and can say, "Oh my God, no wonder you hurt." No wonder what you drink. No wonder. I'm sorry. So, what can people do? What can the listeners do? What people need, what we need to do, is find a way to come out and say, "I hurt," and there's no shame in it. A lot, a lot of adoptees are afraid that there that there's something wrong with them, if they if they go for help, and they're afraid to go for help because of what they're going to be because of what their friends say to them. Because when I started to search for my, for my mother, my best friend said to, said to me, what the F do you want to do that for? She didn't want you in the first place. Like he knew her. <laughs> but, that's, but, that's, but this is what we get so often. People don't understand it and fight us about it. And we shut up. And I believe there's so few of us percentage-wise who, who are able to lift ourselves up as you did and as I did and say, I need help. I got to work on this somehow. I have to do something about it, something. Um, and there aren't that many books. There are lots of books written by adoptees about their own lives, um, but there are very few books about therapy for adoptees. And um, however, look at what one woman all by herself created the storm in Australia to get the Australian government to apologize to all the mothers who were coerced into giving up their babies. Look at, look at this, one woman did that. She was the one who was the impetus for it. Um, and um, it's happening in Canada now where people, the government is starting to apologize or the, I guess the, the church has apologized in Canada. Um, and it's happening in, in the UK with, with, some of the, with some of the governments are apologizing. Why are they apologizing if there's not something really wrong? For a parliament, for, a for the whole government of Australia to apologize, that means there's something really wrong going on in our system, yes? Did you watch that apology, by the way? No, I've not seen it. It is heartbreaking. It's wonderful to watch, but it's heartbreaking because to hear somebody, and I, I feel it right now, I'm saying it, just yeah. have somebody apologize to all the mothers for coercing them into giving up their babies. Um, and that still goes on in the United States. I don't know about the UK, but the coercion here, um, 50, no. 70,000 adoptions a year in the United States that we know of. Yeah, I think it's like 5,000 in the UK. I'm not sure. 
couple of thousand five. Well, that's about percentage wise, even with the with the number of people. Yeah, I don't know how much coercion there is. Whether I guess coercion's on the way down. I I didn't I found out that um, uh, abortion wasn't legalized here in the UK until nineteen. 67 and I was conceived in 1966 so my birth mother didn't have an option to, to have an abortion you know um, so there's all sorts of plays around that I think when I was when I was adopted 97% something of like that of, uh, of birth mothers had their babies single mothers had their babies adopted and now it's either way around like 3% do or something like that um Years ago, I was walking down Fifth Avenue and they have bookstalls. And I don't know why, but I looked at the bookstall and a, and a little blue book caught my eye. How and why the adoption records were opened in England. It was sat, sitting there waiting for me. Um, and, and really it was what was said was why aren't the records, why have the records not been open until now? Why are we keeping that a secret? What were people, where people come from? Um, and, and the book is just a tiny little, tiny little paperback, a, a hardcover. Um, and it was, and, I, and it woke my eyes up. So this was, um, and I don't remember the act, but it was a right around that same time that you're talking about where abortion became um, legal. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember the year, but but if the records. Any, broke, say again. If you want to get your if you want to get your birth records in the UK and you were born before 1975, you have to go through a, a you have to have a therapist. Or okay. Yes. To do that. If yeah. For you're some born after 75, you don't. Right. For some well, reason, I am I am one of the therapists on the UK list that's approved to do that. Uh, I don't know why, but. Um, in the United States, I think eight or nine states have open records. The rest of the country sealed. You can't get your you can't get your information. Period. How can that be? How can it? And 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 that's part of what makes adoptees us adoptees not look because there's something wrong. There's something wrong if I want to find out where I come from. It's a secret. That must be bad. Um. Most of the world has open adoption records outside of the UK, Canada, the United States, uh, and Australia. Most of, most of the rest of Europe, um, the records are open. Holland, Belgium, and Sweden, I don't even think have very many adoptions. I think adoptions just don't happen there. Um, the, the, they take care of their women. They give them um, services to help them keep their babies. And they don't call it welfare, they call it family preservation money. So back to what needs to be done. People need to, I hope, know that there is a way to heal from the trauma. It's not a mental illness. It's a normal reaction to a trauma, post-traumatic stress. It's, it's, we're not ill. What's, what's wrong is what happened to us. People say to me, I'm broken. And I say, no, you're not broken. What happened to you is broken. There's nothing wrong with us adopted people. We're not crazy. We're not mentally ill. Something happened that was not um, normal when we started our lives. 
I, I felt broken. And my big insight was that we are unbreakable. Clearly, you're here, you're talking, you are unbreakable. And you, and you figured that out. Thank God you got the insight. Well, and the, the reason I'm talking about it is not because I want to brag about this, but, I'm, but because I'm, I'm sharing something that it, it, it seemed very true to me. That the 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 broken the broken nature, my broken nature seemed very true, until I realised it wasn't true, and when I saw it for myself, I realised the truth about us being unbreakable. The human, well, the the spirit, the spirit who we truly are, is unbreakable, and for me that is the foundation of the hope. We can be. We can, we can feel broken, yet we can still be a thriving adoptee. You know, thrive, thrive, we, we had this discussion, uh, listeners, before we came on, um, did Joe and I around this thriving adoptees. And thriving doesn't mean that we don't sometimes get upset and rejected, you know, when we feel that somebody's rejected us or that we're not good enough or that, you know, when one of these negative, one of these, you know, the, the, one of these negative thoughts that keeps on, you know, self-sabotaging thoughts still, still comes up for us. That doesn't mean that we're not thriving. Thriving does not mean a hundred percent of my day. I feel great. And a hundred percent of my day, I think great. It's, it, it's deeper than that. It's, it's this, unbreakable soul that we are, despite what we've been through. Um, oh boy, you gave me a lot to talk about. Um, we, can, we can, if we do this, this healing work, really live our days without any of that pain, period. We can feel good all the time. We really can. It takes a lot of work to do it, but I wanna go back to unbreakable. We get that in our genes, that everybody's born, or this is what I was taught, that everybody's born with a core strength. And that core strength, and it's varying amount, and that core strength comes in our genes from our parents. And you have unbreakable core strength, and so do I. It took me a long time to get there, but if you weren't unbreakable, you, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Um, true. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're 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 relating. Uh, you heard that you heard that phrase that um, we are uh, spiritual beings having a human experience. Yes. Yeah. So the the spirit. You're to, well. You're you're talking about genetics, and you're talking genetics in the body. I'm talking about the spirit that drives the body, not the body. Oh, so so am I. You have an unbreakable spirit. I'm talking about the same thing. It's just we're using different words, Simon. Sure. Okay. You have an unbreakable spirit. Um, I wouldn't have survived if I didn't have that unbreakable spirit. It took me a long time to know how to deal with it, to get help. Um, but but you, you, you have a spark. 
And you've always had the spark, but maybe it took a long time to see that it was lit. And listeners, you have the same spark too. We all do. We have to be able to see it. We have to be able to see it. We have to see it for ourselves. Not, yeah. tr- not, not trust these, this, this rambling bloke called Simon from the UK. You know, we have to see it. <laughs> well, see it well okay, so I'm a rambling bloke named Joe from the United States. So okay. <laughs> we have to see it for ourselves, listeners. It, this isn't a logic thing, right? You know, it's like, keep listening, keep listening, keep doing the work. Check out, check out Joe's stuff. I'm going to put links, obviously, in the show notes. Check out Joe's book and see, see the spark within. To see the spark yourself, within yourself, for yourself. Um, and that's the insight that will pave the way for the healing, right? Absolutely. Um, there is a wonderful book called the abandoned child within caught by a woman named it's not about adoption it's about it's just about people who have wounded childhoods and it's written by a woman named Catherine asper k-a-t-h-r-y-n asper a-s-p-e-r and it's easier to get in the uk than the united states and you, and you have to buy it used and you have to shop around because in the in the united states on amazon it's listed for about 300 bucks because it's out of print. The book is spectacular. So that's oh, great. Are you are you telling me that the show has come to an end? You said you'd only got an hour. We can keep going, my friend. Um oh I didn't I thought we <laughs> I thought we were out of time. Um well, I've got another recording in 20 minutes. Do you want to share some more genius? Are you asking me? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, we can keep going. Um, I can, yeah, I can, uh, I can go to twelve o'clock. Cool. Oh, twelve o'clock. So six, uh, five o'clock. Is, is so, that have the time right? Yeah. Okay. So share some more of your wisdom, my friend. Um, I want to go back to being broken. My, I work a lot with teenagers. And when a teenager is made by their adoptive parents to go to therapy because of their behavior, the teenager always believes that she or he is broken. And no human being can endure um, that thought. The, the quote is that no human being can endure inexplicable worthlessness. If my mother didn't keep me, I'm worthless. And since I don't know what I did to cause it, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Um, there's the book by Kafka, The Prisoner. The prisoner disintegrates because nobody will tell him what he did wrong. Nobody will tell him why he's worthless in, 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 in prison. He disintegrates. He, he falls apart, which is what our fear is, that, that way down deep trauma that I'm afraid I'm gonna get in touch with my pain, I'm gonna be annihilated. I'm gonna disintegrate from that pain. So teenagers, they can't, they're teen, the kids, they're babies. And, and they think that there's something wrong, they're unlovable, and so they act out. Well, that's what happens, that's what kids do. They think there's something wrong with them. They act out, somehow they're gonna show it. 
Um, I have a belief that no child, no, no child is bad, period. The children only behave in response to the way they're treated by the world. If they're treated well, they'll behave well. Um, the human brain doesn't finish developing until our early 20s, so, which is why we're not allowed to go to, to, to join the army when we're 15 or get married when, when we're 10 or drive when we're, when we're 11. Um, our brain's not developed. Um, and so as adoptees, as, as children, as, as, uh, as teenagers, we're in a horrible, horrible bind because my brain can't comprehend what happened to me anyway. My brain can't comprehend, make sense out of, I'm not growing up with my own mother. And, and that thought is so um, painful that we shut down. So I have the thought and for a microsecond, and then my brain says, I can't deal with this and pushes it away. And so it just stays, it stays hidden um, until maybe when we're 20 or 30 or 40, unless somebody helps us and says, you know what? I know somebody who can help you with this because maybe, maybe, maybe what happened at the beginning of your life is hurting you, maybe. And so let's go look about, let's go talk. I know about a, a support group where adopted people talk. Um, I run a support group here. I haven't since the pandemic, I'm just starting again. But I, from time to time, an adoptive parent would bring an eight or a nine year old to my support group with the adults. And they wouldn't talk the first couple of times that they were here. And all of a sudden this nine year old the 10 year old would start to talk about their own pain. It changed their lives to be able to do it at that age. And all they needed was to be with other people who could share that there was something okay, that it was okay to talk about not growing up with their own mother. It was amazing how this changed those kids' lives and how the adoptive parents would be so thrilled that they did that, that they, that they brought their kids. Um, strangely, Almost every, I cannot think of an exception to this. Every time somebody brought their child who's a teenager or younger to my group, they were all of color. It was never ever a white child. It was always a child from Latin America or Korea, always. And I do not understand that. But what I do know is that, that a lot of those kids have stayed in touch with me over the years. Um, and, and, and I've watched them change and grow. And, and it's just been wonderful. A nine-year-old in with adults. Now, one of the reasons that works is because anybody who comes to a support group, if the support group's working, they're all gonna regress back to childhood anyway. So the nine-year-old would feel very comfortable with these adults <laughs> who are acting like kids. Seriously, um, uh, we need to help young kids deal with this. The younger we deal with something, the younger we can help an adoptee work on their pain, the easier it's gonna be for them later on. We can solve their trauma issues then rather than waiting. Um, I wish somebody had done it for me when I was, uh, when I was that age. Yeah. Um, my parents tried, but I wouldn't talk because the therapist didn't know anything. Um, oh, you brought coffee? Okay. No, we're, we're British. So oh, tea. I'm sorry. A, cu a cuppa. 
we've, we've got a cup of tea, Mr. Sol. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. I'm an um, English gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> um, Uh, my my first client was a 16-year-old Korean girl with her white Jewish parents. And she they brought her into my office, my living room. And she walked in and she looked at me and she raised her middle finger and she said, F you. And she said it. And I said, so? And she, and she, and I'm still in touch with her today. It, it worked for her to be able to be with people who weren't going to argue with her, who let her cry when she was ready to cry and who let her be angry. And one of the things she said was, I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I should be seeing a white face with Jewish parents. And all I see is an Asian face with slanted eyes. And I can't make sense of it. And I don't want to look in the mirror anymore. And I know there's something wrong with me. Um, and I, so I'm going to talk about something different now, but adoption wise, I think about the Koreans and the, Asi the Asians and the Latino children who are brought to a white country and what happens to them because when they are separated from their mother, what, what happens first? They go, to, they go to maybe a foster home or an orphanage, but no matter what, eventually they, they're brought to an airport with all the tumult of an airport. And it's all in a language that, that they can't understand because they're too young. So nobody can comfort them. And all they want is their mother. And they're put on a plane with all the noise of a plane and the air whooshing by. It must be terrifying. And then they're brought into their new home with a white mother, mostly, who doesn't look the way their mother should look and doesn't smell the way their mother should smell or, or feel the way their mother should feel. Um, and it's torture for them. It's trauma for them. It's more trauma. It's way worse than the trauma that a domestic adoption adopted child has. Um, it's, it's trauma on trauma on trauma on trauma on trauma. And how they survive that is a miracle. Uh, the strength that they have to survive that is a miracle. I, I um, almost three quarters of my clients are of color. I don't know why, but so I, this is where I've learned this. You've just said why, haven't you? No, no, but why? But I, I live in a land that still has more domestic adoptees than. Yeah, because they're in more pain. You, you um, said that they're in more. You, they're in more pain. Um, I don't know if that's what it. Maybe that's well, what it is. I don't know, but but I'm I'm glad that the the people come to me, but but I I hear the, the horror of. I'm going to say this anyway. It is very common for children of color to be raised in homes that are racist. It blows my mind the things that have been said to my clients by their white parents. I have, I'm like, I'm trying, taking care of my eyes right now. Yeah. Um, treated like slaves, treated like objects, 
why, I don't know. Um, but all that does is add to the trauma, of course. Um, Can we go back to lovability? How am I going to believe I'm lovable when that goes on? What is it like for, well, I'm going to go back, well, lovability. What, what, is, what, is it, what happens to a child of color when they walk down the street and people keep giving them that racist look? Or they go down the street with their white parents and people keep giving them that look. What does it do to their lovability? What does it say to them about being valuable as a person or being a person at all? Because the, 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 the racism in this world is, is out of sight. Um, and so what does it do to a little child of color when they keep getting looked at funny or their parents treat them funny and they've lost their mother anyway? And, and, and uh, by the way, a child expects to see eyes that are familiar to them. They're born with, with a knowledge of their mother's eyes. They know what their mother's eyes are supposed to look like. Um, they know what their mother's uh, body is supposed to smell like. They know what their country is supposed to smell like because each country has its own individual smell. So if I'm born in Korea and I'm brought to, to, to the UK, it doesn't smell like Korea. It doesn't smell. So my body's different. My, my body, my body reacts to it differently. I, I remember going into um, an Indian uh, shop when I was a kid, when I was about 10. Um, and we were going in to get sweets, you know. Uh, what would you guys call it? Confectionery? What, um, like, what do you call them? Sweets? Sweet, like kids eat sweets? Sugar Candy. Candy, Candy yeah. Yeah, Candy. yeah. So we call it the sweets over. Um, uh, so I was going into the shop to get into this uh, Indian shop to get candy, and I was uh, I was overwhelmed by the different smells in in that because uh, it was a food shop, you know. So uh, I think uh, it can be a very uh, it's an underrated uh, sense is is smell. We don't talk a lot about it, but um, it uh, as you say, uh, white mothers don't smell like well white people don't smell like non-white people and you know we'll i'm different just on a basis of the the food that we eat as well well uh, white people white people from the uk don't smell the same as white people in the united states yeah, yeah. um i, I want to you i want to go back to something um i i was i became friendly with a psychiatrist who um was co-author of, of an adoption book um and he said to me that he believed that not growing up looking in your own mother's eyes affected your sight, your sight for the rest of your life. Because when a baby is, one of the first things you see when a baby's held in their mother's arms is they staring like this intently into their mother's eyes. And that helps strengthen their eye muscles which is why I truly believe that it's so many adoptees, um, my eyes, I just not wearing glasses. Um, so many adoptees have sight issues and he wanted to get money for research to prove it. And nobody wanted to touch the issue. <laughs> so he, he, never, he never got to do any, any work on it. So underneath all this trauma. Yes. Underneath all this trauma, we've got this lovable, unbreakable spirit. We, we, we have this 
but we are there. spirit that comes in our genes, um, a spirit, you want it, whatever, however you want to define that strength. It's, it, I, it's a spiritual strength. It's a, a psychological strength, but we're born with it. And it comes from our original parents. Where do we get our brains from? Where do we get our intelligence from? Comes in our genes. Um, th um, the, um, we're, not, we're not our bodies, right? It's not about being our bodies, but, but the intelligence is... is, is, uh, is we're not genetic. our brains either. Well, okay, we're not our brains, but intelligence is, is genetic. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 up, I'm going upstream. I'm going up to the spirit. I, I'm, I'm going oh, okay. body, right. uh, you know, because like, that's where the that, that's where all the that's where the flame is. Okay, the flame is just okay. I'm with you. So you know what? I believe Perfect. that that we're <laughs> we that we get that spirit that that spirit that our that our mothers are living in us, and we get that spirit partly from our mothers and partly from our fathers. So that we have that, that. My belief is it goes way way higher. Yeah, me too. Okay. So um, my, my psychiatrist friend who uh, works only with Vietnam vets, um, he said to me that he believes that the only way we survived all of this was with divine intervention. Um, and I believe that, that, that there's more than us, uh, that spirit that we have. That there's, that there's divinity and that, that I, I hate to get religious, but I, well, let's, call it, let's not call it religious. That there's that there's some higher power that 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 lives within us that helps us survive. That's what that's what AA is based on. Twelve step programs. There's a higher there's a higher power. There's something bigger than us. And I believe yeah. it. Yeah, but they do all that definition stuff because we see it on. Has anybody ever told you you look like Fraser uh, Fraser Crane's dad? Who? F Fraser Crane. Uh, the, the the guy out of Friends who so not Friends um, the Cheers was an American show in the 80s. oh um, no but I know who you mean now yeah the, the shrink yes the, the shrink he, yes. he he moved he had a spin off show Fraser Crane set in Seattle was it I, I think know it I know what you mean set in Seattle and his dad Fraser Crane's dad was played by an English actor actually I think. And and Fraser Crane's dad looks like you, or you look like him. Either way. Either way. Um, we're doing this on we're doing this on Zoom. I don't know. Going, um, People are listening to an audio track. Why am I wasting my time talking about what Joe Soul is? Um, like? I, I want to. I'm going to go into my a step further, or into a different direction. The, um, John Cleese. Yeah. He wrote a book with his therapist called "Families and How to Survive Them." And I read that book and I decided to become a therapist. That's what tipped me, tipped the scales for me. To, I was in therapy, but that's what tipped the scales for me to go do it. Um, and so thank you, John Cleese. And the Ministry of Silly Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, we are gonna bring this in. We're gonna bring this in uh, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, so we don't need that divinity. We don't need to talk about. We don't need to talk about God. We can say chi. We can say spirit. We can say spirit. We can say life force. We can say our nature. They're all the same. All, all of it. Yes. And and, and God. Uh, you know, yes. We want to say that. 
but obviously we might get I might get told off for that on social media if anybody's listening who cares right um so that that is where our strength is and seeing uh our our perfection not you and mine but everybody's perfection underneath underneath all the trauma it's the focus on who we are not what we think not how we feel not what we do not our relationships it's all about us inside us you sound very zen hey well I'm sorry it sounds it um um, oh all right so but um (laughs) um i i am and very much into Zen thinking, not religion, but thinking. Um, and what you're saying sounds very much in that in that line with me. Um, uh, it's, the, it's the root of all the religions, apparently. Uh, okay, I I accept. I believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I um, discovered that. Uh, about 10 years ago that all of the work I've been doing was Zen oriented and I didn't even know it. So somewhere within me, somebody was talking to me. Truth. Uh, my Truth. mother, my mother, I have no doubt. And, and some God, some, some higher spirit um, helped help me find oh, yeah. the way. And, and obviously somebody helps you find the way, something within your spark. Yeah, who we all are. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's, 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 it's definition, and you talk a little differently over there than we do over here. So you use yeah. different words for things, yeah, like, yeah. like candy and sugar, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't tell you that I'm near Old York either, did I? Like, we don't call it Old York. We just call it York. We have a city here in the north of England called York. Right? Oh, okay. Gotcha. You're in, you're in New York or somewhere near New York, if I remember rightly. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. So I'm near Old York, but we just call it York. And they used to call this New Amsterdam. They used to call the Dutch guys, yeah. Yeah, so, okay. Um, I'm with you, and I'm watching the clock. It, it's, okay, I'm, I've got to go. I'm, go. I'm going to California now. Well, okay, so say hi as you fly by. Okay, I will do. I've got another 3,000 miles to go, but luckily in, in Zoom land, that happens just the same. It, isn't it amazing? It's amazing. Um, I'll give you, there, there, there are little hippies on the West Coast. Um, travel, ge- travel gently. Okay. All right. Cheers, travel mate. With, travel with love, Joe. Uh, thank you so much. We, we had a real ding-dong before we, before we got onto the recording, but we got there. I was thinking, where are we going to go with this? But it's, it's been a dream. It's been a well, dream. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'll speak to you soon. Do you want to do this okay. again sometime? You betcha. Okay. See you soon, Joe. Take care. Bye. Bye.